Hello, and welcome to another episode of Nostalgic Mystery Radio. I'm your host, Stevie Kay, and it's my honor to bring you the radio shows of yesteryear. For this episode, I bring you P.D. James's Cover Her Face, an Adam Dalgleish mystery, where a young woman who used her body and brains to make it up the social ladder, but now she lies across the bed with bruises on her body and around her throat. Someone has decided that the wages of sin is death, and Chief Inspector Dalgleish must find who that someone is. This will be a four-part series, so sit back and relax, and I hope you enjoy this Nostalgic Mystery Radio. Thank you for listening. Drama in the top bedroom now. Young Sally Jupp has been found locked in her room and very dead. It's time for Inspector Adam Dalgleish to get involved. The window was open, and the pillow on the bed was blodged with rain. Over the pillow, Sally's hair was spread like a web of gold. From the clenched corner of her mouth, a thin trickle of blood had dried like a black slash. On each side of her neck was a bruise, an indelible sign of where the life had been choked out of her. Cover Her Face by P.D. James, dramatised by Neville Turner, with Sean Phillips, Hugh Grant, Beatty Adney, and with Robin Ellis as Adam Dalgleish. It's Bill Thornton. Oh, Bill, thank you for phoning. How are you coping? I hope my policemen aren't being too much of a nuisance. No, no, they're being most considerate. Ah. How's Simon taking it? I'm afraid he's in no condition to be involved at all. A blessing, really. He's in a sort of waking coma most of the time. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that, Eleanor. Uh, Look, there's no point in having the Chief Constable as a friend if he can't do something to help. I'm going to ask Scotland Yard to take over the investigation. They'll probably send a Detective Chief Inspector. What do you say? Thank you very much, Bill. I really am most grateful. So, it's you, Dalgleish. <laughs> Long time no see. I was wondering who'd pick the short straw. Manning, how have you been? Oh, well enough. <laughs> Pretty stretched, though. With three full-scale inquiries on the go all at once. Now there's this. Oh, that's probably why the old man decided to call you in. Glad to help out. Uh, this is Detective Sergeant Martin. Hi. Pleased to meet you, Super. This is a nice-looking place, this. Uh, Elizabethan, or so they tell me. Hi. It's been in the family for hundreds of years. Oh, by the way, Dalgleish, they're all together in the drawing room. Do you want to see them now? No, the body first. Right. The living will keep. <laughs> Fill me in on the details. I've done all I can here. We'll take it away now, if that's all right with you. Oh, uh, yes, yes, Doctor, certainly. Simple enough, medically speaking. Manual strangulation by a right-handed person standing in front of her. Sexual interference? No, doesn't mean sex wasn't the motive, though. Nothing like finding a dead body on your hands to remove the urn. Quite so. Tell you more after the post-mortem. I'll go and get the stretcher party. Nasty business for a Sunday morning. That door was bolted on the inside, you know. Was it? The classic locked door murder, sir. Not this time, Sergeant. (laughs) Um, Exit, entrance two, probably, was by the window. I mean, look, you can see the marks on the stack pipe on the wall. And it looks as if he fell the last five feet or so. Not a difficult climb for anyone reasonably fit. And uh, Sally Jupp. She was last seen alive... At half past ten last night, carrying a late-night drink up to bed. Uh, This cup. She didn't finish it. Could it have been... Oh, funny you should ask. In fact, some dope has gone missing. 
The older Mr. Max is an invalid. A bottle of sleeping pills has wandered from his medicine cupboard. Of course, we'll analyse what's left in this cup. Well, anyway, the post-mortem will show if she drank any and if it was drug. How about the attack? Any obvious motive? Oh, could be. There's no details, but I've heard gossip. Ah, gossip. Yeah, Miss Liddell showed up earlier on to take the baby away. She was here at dinner last night. It was quite a meal, by her account. Apparently, the son and heir, Stephen Maxey, had just proposed to this Sally Jupp, and she'd blurted it out to everyone. You can imagine the reaction. The maid and an unmarried mother with a six-month baby to boot. A motive for the family, I suppose. Yes, it'd be rather interesting to see how the family choose to present last night's events. Mm. I have a feeling the person we're after slept under this roof. We sat in the drawing room, waiting. Stephen and Catherine Bowers, not too far from me, Deborah, close to Felix Hearn, Martha, on an upright chair against the wall, sat ramrod stiff and apart from the rest of us. She seemed to regard the whole thing as a personal insult. I couldn't help thinking about the effect of all this on my two menfolk, Simon and Stephen. In the midst of the nightmare, there was some comfort in the thought that Stephen would get over it, the young always do, and that Simon, thank God, would never know. Sorry for keeping you waiting. As I told you, the Chief Constable has asked Scotland Yard to handle the investigation. This is Detective Chief Inspector Dalgleish. He is in charge of the case as from now. My first thought as Adam Dalgleish stepped into the room was, where have I seen that head before? And then I knew. An engraving by Dürer, was it in Munich? Portrait of an unknown man. Dalgleish was that Dürer brought to life. How do you do? How do you do? Tall, dark and handsome. Not what I expected at all. Quite an interesting face, really. Poor Stephen. He looks shattered. Supercilious-looking devil. He's taken his time coming. I suppose the idea is to soften us up. Or else he's been snooping around the house. Uh, this is the end of privacy. Thank heaven father's beyond it. Interrogation. That'll bring back the past. Well, Dale Gleish will discover that the Gestapo left me with three fingernails and a disinclination to answer even nice English Bobby's questions. I understand that the small room next door has been put at my disposal. I'd like to see you in there separately, please, and in this order. Dr. Stephen Maxey, Miss Catherine Bowers, Mrs. Maxey, Mrs. Deborah Risco, Mr. Felix Hearn and Mrs. Martha Bultitaft. Um, until the interviews are over, I must ask everyone to stay in this room. If you need to leave, there's a woman police officer and a constable outside in the hall who can go with you. Could you lead the way, please, Dr. Maxey? Yes, it's through here. Does anyone get the feeling we're all going to be beaten by the headmaster? I'd better start by telling you that Miss Jupp and I were engaged. I proposed yesterday evening. There's no secret about it. Yes, I've been told. Please accept my condolences. <laughs> don't feel I have any right to condolences. I can't even feel bereaved. I suppose I shall when the shock's worn off. We were only engaged yesterday. Now she's dead. Still hasn't sunk in. And what were your relations with Miss Jubb before yesterday evening, Dr. Maxey? <sighs> if you're asking whether we were lovers, the answer is no. I was sorry for her, I admired her, and I was attracted by her. I have no idea what she thought of me. Well, she accepted your offer of marriage. Not in so many words. But she told my mother and everyone that I proposed, so I assume she meant to. After you'd finished dinner on Saturday night, 
What happened? Ah, well, we had coffee in the drawing room. At about nine, my mother suggested they start counting the takings from the fate. I decided to go out. I asked my mother to leave the south door open for me, and I went to see Sam Bocock. He used to be my grandfather's groom. He lives alone in the cottage at the far end of the home meadow. I often go there. We talk and listen to music. I stayed quite late last night. How late? Can't remember. He may be able to help. Just after eleven, I think. I walked back, came into the house through the south door, bolted it, and went to bed. That's all. You came straight back here. Yes. That means you would have been back in the house when. It's only five minutes' walk, but I didn't hurry. I suppose I was in bed by eleven thirty. And in the morning, when you were woken up, what did you do? Went with Felix Hearn to get the ladder. We carried it between us, though it's quite light. Hearn went up first. I followed. The window was open, but the curtains were drawn. There's a wide window ledge. Apparently, Sally kept a collection of small glass animals there. I noticed they'd been scattered, and most were broken. Hearn went over to the door and pulled back the lock. I stood looking at Sally. I saw at once she was dead. Take a look at this, Doctor Maxey. What is it? Three splinters of glass. They were found in the outhouse opposite Miss Jupp's room, where the ladders kept. Do you know what they are? Could be part of a broken watch glass, I suppose. Or part of one of the smashed glass animals from Miss Jupp's room. Perhaps. I see you have a small piece of plaster across your right knuckle. What's wrong?、Uh, just a graze last night. I, I must have brushed it against the bark of a tree. Don't remember doing it. I thought I put a bit of plaster on before I went to bed. Show me. There you are. Ah,、oh, that looks like a cut to me, or it could, of course, be a scratch from a fingernail. In which case, you'd expect to find blood and skin under the nail which did the scratching. <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I just can't remember how it happened. Is that all? No.、Uh, I want to be perfectly clear about this south door. Yes. It leads directly to the flight of stairs which go up to Miss Jupp's room. That's right. So she was almost in a self-contained flat. Once the kitchen was closed for the night, she could let someone in without anyone knowing. I suppose so. As the south door was left unbolted for you last night, anyone could have gained access to the house through that door while you were out. Well, yes. Would you be prepared to swear that it was unbolted when you got back from Mr. Bocock's cottage? <laughs> of course, I couldn't have got in otherwise. Doctor Max, you do realise how important it is to establish the exact time you bolted that door. Yes. Yes, of course. Now you've just told me you came back to the house just after eleven, bolted the door, and went to bed. Now I'll ask you again, and please think very carefully before you reply. What time did you bolt the south door? Well, actually, it was thirty-three minutes past twelve by my watch. I was in bed by about half past eleven, as I said, but I couldn't get to sleep. At twelve thirty, I suddenly remembered that I hadn't locked up. So I got out of bed and did so. No doubt, very careless of me. But if there's a law against forgetting to lock up, I should like to hear of it. Twelve thirty-three. Yes. I can quite see how it happened. No one is kinder than Stephen Maxey. The girl just took advantage of him. I knew he couldn't have loved her really. He'd have told me before anyone. If they'd really loved each other, he could have relied on me to understand and release him. Do you mean you were engaged? Not exactly an engagement, Inspector. No ring or anything like that, but an understanding. It was taken for granted. Stephen has a long way to go before he can think of marriage. 
And there's his father's illness to consider. Tell me about the early hours of this morning, Miss Byers. I understand you were with Mrs. Maxey. That's right. I couldn't sleep, and I had a headache. I went to the dressing room where Mrs. Maxey was spending the night and asked for some aspirin. Did she give you some? She told me to find it for myself in Mr. Maxey's medicine cupboard. It was while I was looking for it that I saw the bottle of sleeping tablets. Samay is the brand name. It was written on the label. You're quite sure it was Samay? I'm a state registered nurse, Inspector. I know a bottle of Samay when I see it. So it was in the cupboard at... At seven o'clock this morning. And when Stephen and I went to look for it about two hours later, after we'd found Sally's body, the bottle had vanished. Tell me about finding the body. When Martha came to tell Mrs. Maxey that Sally hadn't got up, we thought at first she'd overslept. Then Martha came back to say that her door was locked. As you know, Dr. Maxey and Mr. Hearn got in through the window. We waited on the landing. Felix, what's happened? Let me in. Dear heaven, it can't be. She's dead. <gasps> See for yourself. She's been strangled. Oh, dear God. We've looked at her long enough. Cover her face. No. It's best if we don't touch anything before the police get here. You know, there's something strange about all this. Strange? That's an odd way to describe murder. What do you mean? There's no sign of struggle. In my experience, people don't usually allow themselves to be strangled to death without putting up something for a fight. Oh, Felix, what can all that matter? She's dead, isn't she? Oh, yes, she's dead, Mrs. Maxey. I wonder. You think this cocoa, I suppose it is, you think it's drugged? I don't know. I think it's possible. But... But that's my cup. It's the one I always use. Everyone knows it. What's it doing up here? Oh, my God. I think I'm going to be sick. All right. Leave it to me. Move on to when you, Mrs. Maxey, and her son found that the sleeping tablets were missing. Well, I'd picked Jimmy up from his cot. He stopped crying, and I followed the other two into Mr. Maxey's dressing room. Stephen went straight to the medicine cabinet. He said, it's gone. I asked what he meant, and he told me about the ten tablets that Sally had found in Mr. Maxey's bed, and that Mrs. Riscoe had put back into the cupboard. That was the first I'd heard of it. I was able to tell him that the bottle had been there when I went to the cabinet for aspirin earlier on. I see. And then? There isn't much more to tell. As I took Jimmy away to change his nappy, Stephen was just starting to phone the police. No one seemed much concerned with the baby, so I took matters into my own hands and phoned Miss Liddell. She agreed to take him till things were sorted out. She came round by taxi, and by then the police had arrived. The rest you know. That's very clear and very useful. Thank you. Now, Just you... a few more questions. Oh. Yes? Yes, the earlier part of the night. Tell me what happened from about ten o'clock onwards. Let me see. Well, I helped Mrs. Maxey and the others count the day's takings from the fate. Miss Liddell and Dr. Epps left at about ten-thirty. Mrs. Maxey and I went to the kitchen. Martha had gone to bed, but she'd left a saucepan of milk on the stove and a tray of cups on the kitchen table. Did you notice that Mrs. Riscoe's was missing? As a matter of fact, I did. It's Wedgwood. Very distinctive. She'd gone out to the garden with Felix Hearn a little earlier, and I thought she must have come in without anyone noticing. 
It never occurred to me that Sally might have taken her cup, though, of course, it's just the sort of thing she would do. She hated Deborah, Mrs. Riscoe. You've heard about the affair of the copy dress. Deborah pretended to take it calmly, but I could see that really she could have killed Sally. Oh, I, I didn't mean... Um... Quite, quite, sir. And then? Well, we made our drinks and took them up to the dressing room, which was where Mrs. Maxey said she'd sleep that night. I helped her make up Mr. Maxey's bed and get him comfortable. Then I went to bed. Uh, and what time was this? Um, a quarter past eleven. You may find this part rather strange. Something happened? That scene before dinner, it had been a great shock. I just couldn't believe that Stephen and that girl were engaged. Dinner itself was a nightmare, everyone behaving as if nothing had happened. Of course, the Maxies never do show their feelings. But no one said anything to me, though in a way I was the one most affected. So what did you do? Well, I couldn't sleep and I couldn't bear to lie there all night without knowing the truth. The natural thing seemed to ask Sally. I put on my bedside lamp and looked at my watch. And the time was? Three minutes to midnight. That didn't seem too late to have things out, not in the mood I was in. So I went to Sally's room. Yes, Miss Bart? Her door was locked, but I could see the light through the keyhole. I knocked and called to her. She must have heard me because the bolt was suddenly shot home, and she stood in front of the keyhole cutting off the light. I knocked again, but it was obvious she wasn't going to let me in, so I went back to my room. I see. Straight back? Not quite. I thought I'd see Stephen. I just had to know the truth. The light wasn't on in his room, so I knocked and went in. I felt that if only I could see him, everything would be all right. And was it? He wasn't there, Inspector. The bed was turned down for the night, but he wasn't there. I'm surprised you bother to ask, Inspector Dalgleish. You must know that I would disapprove strongly. Even though Sally Jupp's affection for your son could have been genuine? I'm paying her the compliment of assuming it was. But what difference does that make? I'd still have disapproved. They had nothing in common. He'd have had to support another man's child. It would have hindered his career. And they'd have disliked each other within a year. Of course I disapproved. I'm sorry to discuss what must seem no one's business but your own, but you must see its importance. Naturally. It provides a motive for several people, myself particularly. But one does not kill to avoid social inconvenience. I admit I intended to do all I could to stop them marrying. I've no doubt we should have been able to help Sally short of welcoming her into the family. There must be some limit to what one does for these people. This uh, business of the cocoa... If, as I assume, it turns out that Miss Jupp was drugged, there are two possibilities. She could have taken it herself, or someone else drugged her. Who else in the household drinks cocoa? I don't know what Martha drinks, but none of the family uses it. The milk must have been all right. You and Miss Byers used it to make your own drinks. So the drug was either crumbled into the dry cocoa, or dissolved into the hot drink sometime after Miss Jupp made it. Not by anyone other than Miss Jupp, Inspector. We saw Sally carrying it up to her room. Who do you mean by we? Dr. Epps, Miss Liddell and myself. I was seeing them out. It was about 25 past 10. We were in the hall. Sally came from the kitchen end of the house and went up the main staircase carrying the blue Wedgwood cup. No one said anything. Was it usual for her to use that staircase? No. 
The back stairs lead directly to her room. I think she was trying to make some kind of gesture. You say you saw that Miss Jupp was carrying your daughter's cup. Did you mention this to your guests or to Miss Jupp? What did you expect me to do, Inspector? Tear it from her grasp? What an exciting world yours must be. Sometimes it is, Mrs. Maxey. For example, we found the empty cocoa tin in the dustbin a little while ago. We'd have been able to tell if the drug had been put into the dry cocoa. If someone hadn't rinsed out the empty tin and destroyed the inner paper lining. So at about 9.30, Mrs. Risco and I came in here where Mrs. Maxey and the others were counting the money taken at the fete. We told them we were going out for a little wander in the garden. What did you talk about? Hasn't Mrs. Riscoe already told you? I'd like to hear your account. I asked Mrs. Riscoe to marry me. And did she accept? Charming of you to be interested, Inspector. But inexplicable as it must seem, she was not enthusiastic. Oh, God, Felix, I can't. I can't, not after Edward. You don't know what I went through watching him die. Loving him so much. Feeling so helpless. Darling, Deborah, that was a tragedy. and A chance in a thousand. We must all die in the long run, but people get married just the same. They gambled on life being kind to them on some years of happiness together. I'm not prepared for that gamble. Not yet, Felix. I'm not ready. And nor is Stephen come to that. There's been enough talk of marriage in this family. God, how I hate that girl. How long were you in the garden? Till about 10.40. Then we came in. And then? Mrs. Riscoe offered me a whisky, which I refused. She went to the kitchen to get her own nighttime drink, but came back in a minute or two saying she'd changed her mind. Uh, then I went to bed and slept reasonably well for me. Did you kill Sally Jupp, Mr. Hearn? No. Not that I'm aware of, at any rate. Have you any idea who did? No, and I doubt if I'd tell you if I had. I presume someone came through the girl's window. Have you any idea who did? No, and I doubt if I'd tell you if I had. I presume someone came through the girl's window. That bolt Have you any idea who did? No, and I doubt if I'd tell you if I had. I presume someone came through the girl's window. That bolted door must be a great disappointment to you, Inspector. You can hardly visualise a member of the family pounding up and down a ladder to get in and out of their own house. I know the maxage up engagement must excite you, but you don't need murder to get out of and welcome engagements, or the mortality rate among women would be astronomical, don't you think? After the discovery of Miss Chupp's body, what did you do? I went to see if Mrs. Baltertaft was all right. She seemed stunned and kept repeating that Sally must have done herself in. I pointed out that it was anatomically impossible to strangle yourself, at which point she burst into even louder sobs. Uh, then Miss Bowers arrived with the child. I see, sir. Oh, uh, one thing, Mr. Hearn. Mrs. Risco says you spent almost the whole night in her bedroom, that you slept together. How sweet of her. But it puts me in a delicate situation, doesn't it? You'll have to make up your mind which of us is lying. Thank you. I've already done so. Employing an unmarried mother? It'd never have been thought of in the old days. So it was an experiment. What sort of a girl was Miss Jupp? Were you satisfied with her? Satisfied enough. At first, anyway. What made you change your mind? She began to get cheeky. She started acting as if she was the mistress of the house. Well, I suppose she was beginning to think that she might be mistress here one day. Then she was out of her mind. But Dr. Maxey did propose to her on Saturday. Yeah, well, I know nothing about that. Yeah, Dr. Maxey couldn't have married Sally Jupp. Well, you can't now. Someone made certain of that, didn't they? Hmm. Those 
tablets found in Mr Max's bed? She didn't find any tablets. She got them out of the bottle. Yeah, it was all a game to get attention. Well, I'd do all the heavy nursing. If there was anything hidden in that bed, believe me, I'd have found it. One other thing, Mrs Bultituft. There was an empty cocoa tin found in the dustbin. That's right. I found it on the kitchen table this morning. I took out the inner paper and put it in the stove, and then I rinsed out the tin. Why do that? Madam doesn't like dirty tins in the dustbin. We rinse out all the used tins that Martin Gale always have done. We won't keep you long, Miss Liddell. Sergeant Martin and I are here, of course, about the death of Sally Jupp. Oh, dreadful business, dreadful. She stayed here for the last... Well, Sergeant Martin and I are here, of course, about the death of Sally Jupp. Oh, dreadful business, dreadful. She stayed here for the last five months of her pregnancy, you know, and came back to us when she'd had the baby. You must have got to know her very well, Mr. Dunn. Did you like her? Like her? What can I say? If you'd asked me last week, I'd have said she was an excellent worker and a most deserving girl. But now... I can't help wondering if I was wrong about her. You mean because of the scene with Dr. Maxey? Oh, I was never more shocked in my life, Inspector. Of course she had no right to accept him. But she looked positively triumphant when she stood in that window and told us. <sighs> I shall always blame myself. I recommended Sally to Martingale, you know. So you think Sally Jupp's death is the direct result of her engagement to Stephen Maxey? Well, it looks like that, doesn't it? I agree that her death was highly convenient for anyone who disliked the proposed marriage. The Maxey family, for instance. Oh, what a terrible thing to say, Sergeant. Terrible. <clears throat> of course, you don't know the family as we do, but you must take it from me that that suggestion is fantastic. Miss Liddell, we've spoken to the Proctors, Sally's next of kin. Can you tell me why you phoned Mr Proctor on Saturday morning? What? Their oh, daughter the... said she spoke to you, Mum. Me? Phoned Sally's uncle? Mm. No, there's some mistake. I haven't been in touch with the Proctors since Sally first went to Martingale. What on earth would I phone Mr Proctor about? That's what I've been wondering. Uh, your private papers, Miss Liddell, documents about the running of the refuge and things like that, where do you keep them? Oh, um, over here, Inspector, in this drawer. Naturally, I keep it locked. The key is in this little compartment. Anyone who wanted could find that very quickly. Do you mean that Sally might have pried about among my things? Oh, yes, I see it now. That was why she liked to work in here. Oh, that docility, that politeness. So much pretense. And to think I trusted her. She must have been laughing at me all the time. I suppose you think I'm a fool, too. Well, I may not be very clever with figures and accounts, but I've done nothing to be ashamed of. And they've told you about that scene in the dining room, I suppose, but I've done nothing wrong. You can ask any member of the committee. Sally Jupp could pry as much as she liked. A lot of good it's done her. Poor girl. Poor little girl. And she was so happy yesterday evening, Stephen. How do you know, Vicar? Did you speak to her after the fete? No, not after the fete. I get so muddled about times. But, but no, no, it wasn't yesterday. It was Thursday evening. We walked up the road together and I asked about Jimmy. She was so happy. Told me about her marriage and how Jimmy was to have a father. So very, very happy. You must have the wrong day, Vicar. Really? Why? On Saturday. Saturday at 7.45. She couldn't have told you about it on Thursday. Oh, uh, is that important? 
Dalgleish will probably think so. Dr. Maxi, do you recognize this? Yes. It's the bottle of Samay from Father's drug cupboard. There are seven tablets here. Do you confirm that three are missing? Well, naturally I do. I put ten in. Could I ask where that bottle was found? Why not? It was buried in the lawn in the area used for the treasure hunt. The person responsible was considerate enough to mark the place with one of the named pegs lying around. Whose peg? Curiously enough, Mrs. Risker, yours. Your peg, your cup with drugged cocoa. Why? Why indeed. If anyone can answer that, I'll be in the business room for an hour or two. Uh, Mr. Hinks, isn't it? Oh, oh, yes. Perhaps you could spare me a few minutes now. And perhaps one of you will let me know when Dr. Epps arrives? You mean you think she was doped first? That's bad. The missing Simei tablets indicate that, Doctor. This projected marriage would have been calamitous for the Maxes financially, which gives several people in the household an interest in seeing it didn't happen. At the cost of killing a girl? Making a child motherless as well as fatherless? What sort of people do you think we are? I only deal in facts, Doctor. Stephen never told me about those tablets, Inspector. Well, not much chance. With the fate and all that, I suppose. Probably thought I wouldn't be much help. I've known his father, Simon, for 30 years. We ought to know your patience, but... Uh, I didn't even go up to him very much recently. Just left the prescription week after week. Stephen wouldn't overlook carelessness like that. Who else in the village has been taking some A? Well, I, I, I can look it up when we get to the surgery, but it, it's not a common prescription. I can remember one or two. Sir, Sir Reynold Price is one, and, and... Good God! What is it, Doctor? Here. In my coat pocket. A bottle of... Of what? Some Some tablets. Oh! <laughs> no mystery, Inspector. This is Sir Reynold Price's stuff. This was his coat. How did it come into your possession, Doctor? Well, I bought it on Saturday at the Village Fate. Rather as a joke between myself and the stallholder. And the stallholder? That was... who? Oh, that was... Uh, Mrs. Risco. In episode two of Cover Her Face by P.D. James, dramatised by Neville Teller, Robert Ellis played Dalgleish, Sean Phillips, Mrs. Maxey, Hugh Grant, Felix, Beatty Adney, Dabra, David Thorpe, Stephen, Una Beeson, Catherine, Kate Binchy, Miss Liddell, Philip Anthony, Dr. Epps, Jill Graham, Martha, John Fleming, Manning, Steve Hodson, Sergeant Martin, John Church, Thornton and the Reverend Hinks, and John Baddeley, the police doctor. The director is Matthew Walters. So it's all hanging on the travelling bottle of sleeping pills, then. Tomorrow we'll find out more about Sir Reynold Price's connection with the whole thing. Part three of Cover Her Face at the usual time in the Crime and Thrillers. been a nostalgic mystery radio presentation i hope you enjoyed this episode please feel free to like and rate this podcast on your favorite app also there's a nostalgic mystery radio youtube page for your perusal to subscribe to you can contact me by emailing me at nostalgicmysteryradio at gmail.com i hope you have a blessed day or evening and again thank you for listening